following content is provided by Mythgard Institute. Mythgard, making scholarly discussion of fantasy and science fiction literature free and open to everyone. Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the Mythgard Academy. This is session number 34 of Lamar d'Arthur as we come near to the very end. This, of course, tonight's class is the last class that I had allocated for discussing the text tonight. Not going to lie, it's going to take uh, some kind of miracle for me to get through everything I want to talk about about the end of the story, but that's okay. Anticipating just such an eventuality, <clears throat> I left an extra week, so uh, we should be uh, fine there. Um, on the offhand chance that I don't get through like 30 slides tonight, uh, we will have an extra week to uh, do that. So let me give you a glimpse of the road ahead here. Uh, uh, not only the end of the Mallory class, but also the beginning of the next one. So um, we're going to be, we have, all right, let me come at it the other way around. Our next discussion uh, on Sauron Defeated, the next volume of the History of Middle-Earth, will begin on May 15th, Wednesday, May 15th. Next week, I am going to be out of the country. I'm going to be on vacation with my family. We're going to be uh, driving around Iceland, uh, which is uh, which is going to be a lot of fun. So, uh, anyway, um, that's... Um, um, uh, so, I won't be here next week. So, that will leave... Tonight, the 1st and the 8th of May, right? Uh, so the 8th was the extra week that I was leaving. So we have three weeks, three Wednesdays prior to uh, three operative Wednesdays, that is counting today, uh, before we begin Sauron Defeated. So um, if we end up taking two of those weeks, that is tonight and the 1st of May to finish up the text, no harm done. That will still leave us with Wednesday, May 8th, to talk about Monty Python and the Holy Grail by popular demand. Many people have requested that we talk about that, and that seems really only fitting coming at the end of uh, Mallory here. So um, that's going to be... Uh, uh, that's going to be probably the plan. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of assuming... We're not going to get through 30 slides tonight, and it will, will be two, uh, two sessions. So it will be tonight, then break next week, and then the week after that, May 1st, we'll finish the text, and then May 8th, we'll do the Quest for the Holy Grail, and then May 15th, we will do our first session on Sauron Defeated. Uh, the, the schedule for Sauron Defeated isn't posted yet. I haven't had a chance to sit down and, and kind of map that out yet. Um, it seems really odd now uh, to plan a, you know, like a 10 session <laughs> discussion on uh, a book since we've been talking about Mallory for so long. But anyway, it'll all be good. Um, so, um, yeah. Okay. Is there a link up? Uh, hmm. Uh, Devorah, there might be. Um, I, I'm not sure if the new webpage for the Sound Defeated uh, session has been made live yet or not. Um, it'll be up soon. If not, um, there is a, a link exists and we'll be, uh, we'll be sending that out soon. But, um, anyway, cool. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I think, oh yeah. So yeah, Arthur, we're not going to talk about the Camelot film. 
though we will be discussing the Camelot film, not here, uh, not uh, next week. Uh, but the Mythgard Movie Club is going to do Camelot in May, at the end of May. So um, uh, so soon after we finish, actually, we'll be doing a an Arthurian Mythgard Movie Club. Uh, and I'm going to join them for that, of course. Um, uh, so that'll be a lot of fun. And anyway, we're going to, uh, though, come to think of it, next week... Um, uh, no, not next week. Next day. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. This very week as is. Uh, this Thursday night, which is tomorrow, uh, is uh, the next myth is the April Mythgard Movie Club. Uh, and they're going to be talking about the film Captive State. So that's this week. And then next month in May, we're going to be talking about uh, Camelot. Uh, as we sort of celebrate completion of Mallory. And we're going to be talking about Monty Python and the Holy Grail on the 8th of May. So that's the uh that's the plan that's the plan um cool so yeah we will um we'll oh, bruce you want to talk about the divine comedy next we could do the divine comedy uh that yeah we'd probably have to vote that one in one volume at a time to be perfectly fair about things uh but uh, it wouldn't take that long to do like inferno you know 34 cantos, no big deal, right? Um, but anyway. All right. I'd be perfectly willing to do Dante. I'm a big fan of Dante. Uh, that would be fun. Um, yeah, it, it has been nominated. I, I've seen it be nominated. Uh, uh, we'll see. We'll see. Um, we'll see what happens. Always happy to talk about more medieval literature, of course. Um, but anyhow. All right. Let us get to the text if we're even going to get halfway through uh, the 30 passages I have left that I want to talk about. Um, so, where did we leave things last time? We had gotten through uh, the Knight of the Cart section and Lancelot's and Guinevere's bad decision and the bloody bed, and we did the trial with Sir Meliagant, and then we looked at uh, the beginning, the the moment, right, the moment of doom when they are finally caught, when this ambush is set for them uh, by Agravain and Mordred, and we just finished with Agravain getting his head split open as Lancelot pops out into the hall, having yanked in a guy, to put on his armor, and then uh, gone out. Um, notice the, the way in which that sort of shifts this motif that we've seen from the very beginning, from the book of Sir Lancelot on, right? We've been seeing Sir Lancelot routinely dressing up in somebody's armor, right? Uh, usually to disguise himself, like he did with Sir Kay's armor, way, again, way back when in the book of Sir Lancelot. Um, and uh, interesting now that we see that same concept, Lancelot dressing up in somebody else's armor uh, played out in very dire and deadly fashion here, right, at this climactic moment. It's sort of an interesting uh, sort of taking of that concept and shifting it around. Um, but he leaves uh, in the... Yeah, usually it's all in fun, Bruce, exactly. Less so, less so here. Um, yeah, so anyhow... Um, he had just left agreeing with uh, Guinevere that really the best thing to do was for him to make sure that he escapes himself so that he's able to rescue her uh, later on. You know, that's sort of the plan. And everybody seems to pretty much agree with this plan. So let's uh, 
see where we're going. So this is Lancelot when he gets back to his kin, right? Him reporting back about what happened. And therefore, wit you well, my fair lord, is I am sure there nis but war unto me and to mine. And for cows I have slain this nicht, Sir Agravine, Sir Gawain's brother, and at the least twelve of his fellowers. And for this cows now I am sure of mortal war. For these connectes were sent by King Arthur to betray me, and therefore the King Wall in his in this heat and malice judge the Queen unto Brenning, and that may I not suffer that she shall be brent for my sack. For and I may be hard and suffered, and so taken I will fix for the Queen, that she is a true laddie until her lord. But the king in his heat I dread will not tack me as I ought to be taken. My lord Sir Launcelot, said Sir Bors, be mine advice, ye shall tack the woe with the wheel, and sithen it is fallen as it is, I counsel you to keep yourself, for end ye woe yourself. There is there is no fellowship of Knechtis christened that shall do you wrong, and also I will counsel you, my lord, that my laddie Queen Guinevere, and she be in any distress, in such as she is in pine for your sack, that ye knickly rescue her. For an ye did an any otherwise, all the world would speak you sham to the world's end. Insomuch as ye were talking with her, whether ye did reeked or the wrong, it is now your part to hold with the queen, that she be not slain and put to a mischievous death. For an she so die, the sham shall be evermore yours. Now Jesu defend me from sham, sighed Sir Launcelot, and keep and salve my laddie, the queen, from villainy and shamful death, that and that she never be destroyed in my defout. Wherefore, my fair lord is, my kin and my friend is, sighed Sir Launcelot, what will ye do? And anon they sighed all with own voice, we will do as ye will do. Um, okay, so... several things that are interesting here. One thing I would want to point out, because I think it's it's kind of easy to lose sight of this a little bit. Notice, because it's, uh, because it's, this is about an absence rather than a presence, right? Something that's not there in the text rather than something that is. Uh, so notice how Lancelot is not talking here, right? He's going to rescue Queen Guinevere. Why? Because she is his beloved, right? And he would give up his life for her. And he is going to take her away. Now, you know, the two of them have been living, you know, uh, restraining their love for each other and, you know, constraining themselves to follow the, you know, the. but now, you know, they're out of the closet now, right? Now it's in the open. Their relationship has been revealed. And so now they don't have to hide anymore. So he's going to swoop her away and they're going to go off and they're going to live happily ever after, right? No one is talking even a little bit like that at all. What he says about her here. There is nothing in his speech about Guinevere here that even departs from the, like, this is exactly how he would have talked about her in front of Arthur, you know, a month earlier, a year earlier, ten years earlier, right? He is still speaking, he's speaking as the Queen's champion, right? He talks about, you know, 
my Lottie Queen Guinevere, but he doesn't, um, again, he's not speaking like a courtly lover here. He is certainly not talking about someone who is like looking to run off with his lady. Um, he is, um, he is interested. He wants to save her life because she's being falsely accused as he's done many times before. And I want to say, and I think it's fair to say, as he would do for any other lady in this circumstance, right? Um, I say especially because, I mean, he has double reasons, right? Um, Double reasons, not even counting the whole courtly love thing, right? Not even counting the fact that he's in love with her and loves her out of measure, out of measure long, right? Uh, That that's... That's not even entering into it here. Besides that, he has two other reasons. One, he is her champion, right? This is his job. His job under Arthur, his official job, is to be her champion and to fight for her if he believes her to be wrongly accused, right? Um, Potentially, even if he doesn't believe her to be wrongly accused, right? Whether to defend her, whether in right or wrong, you know, should he do that? Should he not do that? I don't know. But that's, that's, you know, uh, you know, you, you, you certainly argue that. But again, this is his job as champion. It is doubly his job because it's his fault that she's going to get burned at the stake, right? Um, she is being accused of inappropriate activity with him, right? Um, and he believes them to be, you know, he's claiming that they are innocent, but the queen is not guilty of what she's being accused of. Uh, and, um, um, uh, and so again, so it would be double shame to him, right? Double, triple shame to him if she were to be burnt here. Right. But again, yeah, James, that's a really good way to, to, uh, uh, talk about it here. Uh, James says he's speaking of her as if he were her lawyer, not as if he were her lover, Right? There's no love speech here at all. No love speech here. Um, and that's really interesting to me. So now, uh, several of you are kind of looking at Lancelot's claims, which he is making here, and he is going to make again and again, right? Um, For and I might be hard and suffered and so talking, I will fake for the queen that she is a true laddie unto her lord. I'm going to fight that to show that Guinevere is faithful to her husband. And I know that a bunch of you are like, but we all know that's a load of hooey, right? It's, she's not a faithful lady until her lord, right? They have slept together at least once, right? Minimum of one time, there is no sense in which she is a perfectly true lady until her lord. Um, uh, yeah, what's with the claim of innocence? Exactly. What's with the claim of innocence? Um, Bruce, I agree with you, by the way, that Bors has known the skinny for quite some time here, right? Um, when he was, I agree with you, Bruce, when he's counseling Lancelot to stick with Elaine number two, right? Um, you know, in the passage we looked at, what, class before last, um, 
we can see that he he's was trying to head things off right um and indeed would have right like, you know if if the reading that Mallory seems really insistent on in the end here that is that they have not slept together until this time until the time of the night of the card incident um if that's the case had Lancelot married Elaine maybe they never would have right maybe that would have been avoided entirely but um does Lancelot really believe in the claim of innocence or is he lying I have a hard time with this because I think the answer is not quite so simple. Remember the model we already have for this. The model we already have for this is the Meliagant combat, right? Think of the way that Mallory has set this up. This is the third time that Guinevere is being accused, right? Uh, uh, there has been a pile of... Uh, firewood stacked up, right? A pile of firewood with Queen Guinevere's name on it three times so far here, right? In the end of this book. Um, look back at what happened in the other two times, right? The first time she looked guilty as anything to everybody in that whole murder of Sir Pat Patrice? Wasn't it Sir Patrice? I can't, I'm forgetting if he was the, the dude who was killed or the dude who did the killing. But anyway, the whole poisoned apple incident, right? She looked really guilty. Most of the people there, including Boars initially, kind of thought maybe she was guilty and didn't want to fight for her, right? Because they couldn't be, they weren't convinced, they weren't sure that she was not guilty of killing that guy, right? Maybe trying to kill Gawain. After all, Lots of people want to kill Gawain. Uh, and it's hard to blame them sometimes. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so... We have our first situation, right? Where Guinevere is confronting a pile of firewood with her name on it. She is, in fact, innocent. She didn't do the thing. It looks bad. She is, like, in a sense, even technically guilty. In that, I mean, it was... it was. I mean, she didn't actually poison the apple with malice aforethought, but... Um, but again, she was responsible. Like she, there's, there's a sense in which she was sort of at least technically culpable because she was the host. It was her fruit that killed the guy, right? Um, so, uh, uh, anyway, like it was, but she was exonerated, right? Uh, Lancelot fights for her um, and is correct, despite the fact that it looked really bad, right? He fought for her to, in, in a way, and remember, remember the dynamics of that. Most of the other knights of the court thought she was guilty, right? And then here Lancelot comes along and he's like, I don't care. I'm going to fight for the queen and defend her, even though she looks guilty. And made it good, right? Now, it was true. She was innocent, right? But we see that pattern that's established second time. Second pile of firewood is when she's accused by Meliagant. Right with the bloody bed incident. This one much more complicated. Right, once again she is in fact innocent of the charge, 
The charge was that she slept with one of the wounded knights that she was sheltering there in her bedchamber. She was, in fact, innocent of that charge. Um, Lancelot again fought for her, even though it looked really bad, right? Um, and there was lots of pre, you know, presumptive evidence, circumstantial evidence, uh, to suggest, just as there was before, um, in some ways even more so than there was before, to suggest that she was guilty, right? But he fought for her, and he got her off. He wins, right? Um, of course, the major difference is that the second time, she is only innocent by a technicality. Um, she was, in fact in bed with a wounded knight, just not one of those wounded knights. She was accused of sleeping with the wrong wounded knight. Um, um, anyway, that's, um, that's once again, she looks guilty. Her innocence is maintained and proven and her, but her innocence here is very slender, right? And only, purely formal, purely technical. She is guilty that second time. Third time, she's being accused again when Lancelot is found in her chamber, uh, you know, trapped there by Agravain, Mordred, and Posse, right? As far as we can see, as far as Mallory tells us, they're innocent, again, on that occasion, right? Um... She, yes, he is in her bedchamber, indiscreet, but not criminal, right? Uh, he came there for no malengine, he says, and is probably correct about that, right? Um, there is, again, another sense in which they are technically innocent. She is technically innocent of this charge also. She was not in bed with Lancelot as she is being accused of being. Um, and so, again, he has the sort of the legal ground to stand on to insist that the charges against her are unfounded and that she should be let off, right? That she should be... You know, now, a trial by combat is not going to be permitted, right? So he has to come in and rescue her and feels that he has the higher moral ground, the high moral ground in coming in to rescue her. <clears throat> so... Again, when we look back over this whole pattern, everything, the way that Maori has been setting this up, notice what has been at stake all the way along, right? There is sort of the truth, and there's the appearance. But it's not just the truth and the appearance. And remember, the truth and the appearance has been a major theme all the way back through the Book of Lancelot and Guinevere, right? Ever since the Grail uh, 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 quest. The Grail quest, of course, in which we were meant to look through the surface, right? To interpret the surface and see what it really points to, right? The Grail quest in which so much of the surface was really just a message, right? Just a sign pointing uh, to a signifier, right? To, to A sign pointing to a signified, rather, right? Uh, something beneath it, the, the allegory that you're supposed to interpret. But anyway, the discrepancy between outward seeming and the inward essence of the thing has been a factor ever since Lancelot came home. But there's another... Th it's not just the appearance and the reality, right? There's sort of three things. So, like, if you take take that second instance again, the Meliagant instance, right? There's really three different levels. 
On the one hand, there's the superficial level. It looks really bad. She looks guilty. Then there's the sort of legal reality. She is, in fact, innocent, and Lancelot is justified in fighting for her and maintaining her innocence. But then there's yet a third level in which it's really as bad as it looks, right? The essence, the truth, the deepest truth of the matter is that she, the, the, both of them are guilty, right? So, back to answering the question. How are we supposed to be responding to this? How are we supposed to be responding to the maintaining of innocence? Um, and what do they even think about it? Does anybody buy it? Is Lancelot sort of inviting other people to sort of indulge in illegal fiction? Lancelot has established a pattern of getting her off on technicalities. He's not only a great knight, he's a, he'd be a great lawyer, right? Um, the way he manipulates the trial, especially in the Sir Meliagant instance, is kind of masterly, actually. Right. Remember, he's the one who articulates the oath. Um, yeah, Nancy, I agree with you. That second case is actually a little worse than it looks. I agree. I agree. It is a little worse than it looks. Um, anyway, he has established this pattern of getting her off on a technicality. Um, the reason I'm so hesitant, the reason I'm kind of hedging here, is that I think that a mistake that... A thing that many readers do with the end of the Lancelot and Guinevere story in Maori, which I think a mistake, is oversimplifying it. Either, like, basically to say, if you say, Maori wants us to believe them, right? Maori wants us to exonerate them. He's just like... He loves Lancelot and Guinevere, right? And so he wants us to kind of smooth things over and be okay with that, with everything being okay. You can maintain that reading, but I think it's very oversimplified. I don't think, I think that the truth is a good deal more complicated than that. You can similarly maintain that, um, that this is an absurdity, right? That Lancelot's oaths and, you know, claims of virtue and honesty are proven a sham here, right? That he uh, has been thoroughly corrupted, that he's like abandoned uh, the the truth and the promises that he swore to in the Grail Quest completely, right? <clears throat> Lancelot is living a lie. You can maintain that, right? I think that's easier to maintain, frankly, than the first reading. But I still think that that is an oversimplification, Especially, <clears throat> especially in this third case. Especially in this third case. Um, again, we, we have those same three levels. It looks bad. They were caught alone in her bedroom. That looks bad, right? But the legal reality beneath it, they were not, in fact, in bed. He didn't do it for any malengine, right? He, he, it's, they, they didn't hop into bed together, Mallory suggests pretty strongly, right? Um, and again, here, remember, as I said before, his source text in the French books, they do hop. They are caught in bed, right? They are actually naked in bed together when Agravain is pound, starts pounding on the door. Um, they are, in fact, caught in the act. 
um, Maori goes pretty far out of his way to draw attention to the fact that they're probably not, in fact, in bed, right? Thus creating this much more complicated situation where, again, she is technically innocent of, of what she is being accused of here. But it doesn't change the fact that there's still this deeper level, right? There's still this deeper level on which... Yeah, it is true. And no, she is not a true lady unto her lord. She's just not. That's not true. Even though. So, but the point is the complicated tangle of things here, right? The complicated legal situation. What should Lancelot do? What should Lancelot do? Right? What should Guinevere do? Um, what they're doing is not yet the best thing that they could be doing. But it's also not the worst thing that they could be doing, right? They're in the wrong. Lancelot is in the wrong. He's, he's lying, right? Possibly even to himself about her being a true Lottie until her lord, right? Um... But Agravaine is in the wrong, too. And even more in the wrong. And Arthur is in the wrong. He, His conclusion that he is going to burn her at the stake without trial, essentially, that's not a good look. Even his agreement to allow Agravaine and Mordred, Agravaine and Mordred, for crying out loud, to lay a trap like this, also... Not a good look. Arthur's not looking great here. Agravain looks horrible, because he is horrible. And Mordred, because he's horrible too. Um, and Lancelot and Guinevere are not looking good. Um, all are culpable. All are involved. And if the protestation seems hollow, I think it should. But what I would urge you to notice... If you take out that one sentence, if you take out the one sentence that she is a true Lottie until her Lord, everything else works. Everything else is right. He's not wrong in any other way. I'm not saying this in order to convince you that you should just, like, get over it, right? Overlook it, right? Well, okay, he's stretching the truth there, but you know, his heart's generally in the right place. I'm not saying that. But again, but I am saying that I think that that's a really important element of what's going on here. Lancelot, it's not a black and white situation, right? Lancelot has not just gone off the rails. He's trying to do the right thing, but he's not going all the way. The situation that Mallory creates here is a much more complicated situation and therefore a much more real situation. The thing that I love most about the ending of this book is the way in which Mallory sets up this situation to show people struggling with real and complicated things, right? Lancelot is to me such a fascinating and interesting hero at the end of this book for exactly these kinds of speeches, right? Because he is delivering a speech. If he were delivering a speech which was a lie all the way through, that would be one thing, right? Um, he's delivering a speech 
which is 90% true and which he knows to be only 90% true. But it's enough true that he can convince himself that he's doing the right thing. Because he is doing the right thing, generally. And he has... He has all kinds of grounds for rationalizing what he's saying and what he's doing. Right? And again, I don't know about you, but I've been here before. Right? I can, I can understand this uh, kind of situation. Um, uh, it's... Um, it is, I think, a really complex um, and interesting situation. And Maori, I think, is... He's not simple. He was resisting simple situations. I, I mean, again, the whole pattern all the way along has been nothing is as simple as it looks, right? This isn't going to get easy. Uh, and they have messed up. He's not going to let them off. He's not trying to let them off for the bloody bed incident, right? Lancelot is lying here. He is forswearing himself. That is a shame. It would be a greater shame for him to let Guinevere be burned. Um, what, what can he do? What should he do? What is the way out of this? Right? What happens? Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, dollar stroke. I agree. Um, this is a kind of a tricky situation. Uh, he's, uh, he's pointing out that this is a, the, the, the particular moral quandary that Maori is depicting here is, as Dora Stroke points out, an unmodern situation on two fronts. Uh, first, that adultery can be a capital crime due to treason. And second, that a spouse in a self-denying courtly love affair still respects the marriage. Uh, it's two non-principles forming a non-conflict to moderns. I know it is. that there, there are many things about sort of the terms of this which all seem a little bit alien and the whole thing seeming a little bit weird. Um, in particular, uh, I would emphasize the second one uh, there for a second. I feel I, It seems to me that to a lot of modern readers, the idea that Lancelot could say, she is a true laddie unto her lord. Forget the fact that they've committed adultery the once, right? Even if they hadn't committed adultery, right? Um, I mean, in a situation where you're like, yes, like she and I have loved each other out of measure and out of measure long, you know, we've been having this emotional affair for the last 25 years, but she's always, you know, been true to her Lord. You know, most modern people would not say that a wife in that situation really has been true to her husband, right? Even if she's, you know, been sexually faithful, right? Um, so, but I agree. She, she is, right? That's okay. It's, she is a true Lottie until her Lord is still like almost entirely true, right? Just, just the once, just the once, just the one lapse there, um, is uh 
uh, is the only uh, is the only problem there. It's it's mostly true, and and, and it is it's mostly true in a way in which I don't think it feels mostly true. It doesn't seem to ring. Mo- it seems like I, I think it rings more false to modern people than uh, it would to a medieval audience. I think. Um, yeah. Um, Watch how that we're going to see. We're going to see several of Lancelot's protestations here, right? Watch how this develops. Watch how he talks about this. So, Bors is concerned, right? Sir, that shall be the least care of us all," sighed Sir Bors. "For how did the most noble knight, Sir Tristram?" By your good will, kept not he with him La Belle Isode near three years in joyous guard, the which was done by your by your author's advice, and that some place is your own, and in likewise may ye do, and ye list, and talk the queen kneekly away with you, if so be that the king will judge her to be brent, and in joyous guard may ye keep her long enow. Until the heat be past of the king, and thon it may fortune you to bring the queen again to the king with great worship, and peradventure ye shall have then thunk for your bringing home where other may happen to have magre. Now, keep in mind here. So again, notice Bors the 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 context of Bors's advice here, right? He rescue Lancelot rescues the queen, and they go off to Joyous Guard together. Again, to a modern audience, this might this might sound like an elopement, right? So uh, let's go off and live together. Again, this is this is the they're living the dream at last, right? Lancelot and Guinevere, after decades of longing glances and self restraint, right now they're going off and they're in their little love nest in joyous guard, right? Um, and then after a while, he's like, ah, "I'll take you back to your husband, whatever," right? From the beginning, that is not conceived in that way at all. Once again, just like Lancelot was speaking, not like her lover, but like her lawyer before, um, as um, as James was pointing out, here, once again, Bors is saying the same thing. Why are they going to go to Joyous Guard, right? So they can be happy together, even if only briefly? No, not at all. The explicit purpose is to take her to keep her safe from the king until such time as she can be safely returned to the king. There is never an intention to take her and make off with her, right? He's not eloping with the queen. She's not escaping Arthur's court. He is sheltering her from Arthur's wrath. Arthur is 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 out of control right now, right? He's going to condemn her without proper trial. Um, when the king's wrath passes, right, then with great worship... I mean, I would point out a couple words here. Um, first, uh, talk the queen kniekly away with you. Take the queen away nightly, right? Which means in part by force of arms, but also I think it means, you know, with, with, with courtesy and propriety, right? Again, this is not run off with her and take her to your love nest. This is, uh, uh, as the queen's champion, you go and you defend the queen and then you keep her 
here uh, and in all sort of properness and, uh, you know, and, and they're all with him, right? We can all vouch for this and then we'll return with the whole, with the explicit purpose. And then it my fortune you to bring the queen again to the king with great worship, right? The king's going to be, when, when he comes around, King Arthur will thank you for this. Everyone will thank you and praise you for this. Everyone will acknowledge that you have done the right thing. To let her die is obviously wrong. Obviously wrong, right? But to rescue her, but then to hold on to her, right? And to then reconcile things with Arthur, that's that's the right thing to do here. Clearly the right thing to do. Um, with great worship, that will be done. Um, Yeah, Dolor Stroke is wondering how Guinevere feels about Lancelot's objectivity. Yeah, we're not hearing much about that, are we? Of course, this is still the men talking among themselves while Guinevere is still captive, right? Uh, and preparing to be burned at the stake. So she's not present to voice her opinion on this. Um, uh, we have seen her in the past, however be somewhat less dispassionate about this kind of thing than Lancelot has been, right? Um, not about the rescuing her from uh, uh, from being burned at the stake, but... Um, and Now, Nancy, you are absolutely right. When Tristram runs off with Isolde and lives with her for three years in Joyous Guard, they are living together in their love nest, right? I mean, yes, the parallel with... Tristan and Isolde and Lancelot and Guinevere, as I was pointing out before, is very relevant, right? And one of the effects here, Bors explicitly invites us to make that connection, right? Explicitly invites us to make the connection and says, you can take her away to Joyce Card just like Tristram took Isolde, right? Just like Tristram took Isolde, right? They were kind of running off together. They did kind of elope together. And... Um, one of the cautions here is, look what happened to Tristram, right? Tristram was killed when he took her back to King Mark. They did go back to Cornwall eventually, right? Which leads directly to his murder, right? Um, as Lancelot is about to point out, that is hard for to do, said Sir Lancelot. Um, but, and that is hard for to do. What's he referring to? He's referring to the returning Guinevere to Arthur, Right? That is hard for to do, sighed Sir Launcelot, for by Sir Tristram I may have a warning. For one by mean is of treatise, Sir Tristram brought again La Belle Isode unto King Mark from Joyous Guard. Look ye knew what fell on the end, how shamefully that false traitor King Mark slew him as he sat harping afore his lady, La Belle Isode. With a groaned and glive he thrust him in, be- in behind to the heart which grieveth sore me, sighed Sir Launcelot. To speak of his death, for all the world may not find such another knicked. All right, stay on target here, Lancelot, as far as the conversation is concerned. Um, and notice Sir Bors isn't concerned. All this is truth, sighed Sir Bors, but there is one thing shall courage you and us all. Ye know well that King Arthur and King Mark were never like of conditions. And there was never yet man that ever could prove King Arthur untrue of his promise. 
King Mark was an absolutely untrustworthy git, and King Arthur isn't, right? So I wouldn't worry so much, Sir Lancelot. That, so notice Sir Lancelot is, is wondering whether he can trust Arthur here. And not totally without reason, uh, as Arthur, again, has not covered himself with glory in this exchange here either, right? Um, but Bors is clearly right. Arthur is not Mark. And um, he is not going to most likely have Lancelot whacked uh, with a spear in the back um, after accepting her her back. Um Uh, let's see. Yeah, Mordred might. Yeah, he might. He might. Mordred is still around, unfortunately. Mordred being the only one who escaped, right, of the posse at the door of the of the Queen's chamber. Um, this advice is... Again, Nancy, I want to come back to what you were saying before. The parallel with Tristram and Isolde is uncomfortable, right? Um, because he wasn't doing the right thing. Tristram wasn't doing the right thing, right? Um, whereas Lancelot seems to want to, says that he wants to. Okay, anyway, let's keep looking at this. Um... So, Sir Gawain and King Arthur find out about the death of all the knights that Lancelot killed there, right, in escaping from Guinevere's room. Among whom are a number of Gawain's kin. Agravain, of course, is his brother. But in addition to that, his sons, two of his sons are there, right? And other kin of his. I mean, he's got a bunch of people who were in whom he is invested, right? Who were killed. And we've seen Gawain, you know, want to commit murder for a good deal less than this before. And remember that Lancelot believes now he's killed Sir Agravain. Gawain's going to be coming after him forever now, right? Um, he is expecting the worst from Gawain here. Here's Gawain's actual words to the king. Then spoke Sir Gawain and said, My lord Arthur, I would consail you not to be over hasty, but that ye would put hit in respite this judgment of my lady the queen for many causes. On is this, though it were so that Sir Launcelot were found in the queen's chamber, yet it meeked be so that he come thither for none evil. For ye know, my lord, sighed Sir, Sir Gawain, that my lady the queen hath oft often times been greatly beholden unto Sir Launcelot, more than to any other knight, for often times he hath saved her life, and done battle for her when all the court refused the queen. As we said, it's the third instance. And peradventure she went for him for goodness, and for none evil, to reward him for his good deeds that he had done to her in time is past. And peradventure my lady the queen sent for him for that intent, that Sir Launcelot should come privily to her, waning that it had be best in eschewing and dreading of slounder. For often time as we do many things that we ween for the best be, and yet peradventure it turneth to the worst. 
For I dar sigh, said Sir Gawain, my lady, your queen, is to you both good and true. And as for Sir Launcelot, I dare say he will make it good upon any kneek living that will put upon him a villainy of sham, and in like wise he will make good for my lady, the queen. This is a very remarkable speech from Sir Gawain. Right. Lancelot does not expect this of Gawain. I didn't really expect this of Gawain. Right. But this is what we get from Gawain. Gawain says, hey, let's give Lancelot and Guinevere the benefit of the doubt here, right? Maybe they were innocent. Makes sense. It's very possible, right? It's, in fact, really plausible. Um, the fact that he was found in her chamber doesn't mean, necessarily, it doesn't prove that they're guilty. In fact, notice how he, he goes almost to the opposite extreme, right? It might even... Uh, they might have... Is it imprudent for them to meet in private in her chamber like this? Well, yeah, I mean, it looks bad, but maybe they did this in eschewing and dreading of slander, right? That is, he's blaming Agravain. Agravain has been spreading rumors about them, right? And they know that Agravain has been spreading rumors about them, and she wants to reward him and give him gifts like she should, right? Because, you know, he deserves it, and this is her job, too. So... So they're going to do this in private, right? So as to avoid slander. And then ironically, right, it doubles back on them. And, and but, you know, but Gawain says sagely, right, this, this oftentimes this kind of thing happens, right? We do something that we think is going to be for the best. And yet, peradventure, it turns out for the worst, right? The very thing that we do to try to avoid trouble lands us in the trouble that... You know, we were trying to avoid. Oh, man, like, you know, I've been there before, right? So Sir Gawain is like, okay, you know, this is, um, let's give them the benefit of the of the doubt, right? <laughs> Patricia says, who are you and what have you done with Gawain? <laughs> yes, yes, uh, absolutely. Um, Nancy points out that doing things for the best that turn to the worst is a pretty good plot summary of the whole story. Yeah, it kind of is. It kind of is. Um, uh, yeah. Um, this is the interesting thing. When you, If you go back and you look at Maori sources here, Sir Gawain is in the French book. Sir Gawain, first of all, does not have the... Maori, as I've spoken of before, Maori has made Gawain a bigger villain than Sir Gawain has ever been in the history of Sir Gawain. Um, so that's already a change in one direction that Maori has made from his sources. Um, Gawain, however, the speech that Gawain is making here is the role that Gawain has... Uh, in the source texts as well. In fact, in the source texts, Gawain is much stronger here. Um, one detail, which is super evocative, which is in the French source, but not in Maori. When Gawain gives this advice and says, let's give him the benefit of the doubt, I'm sure that Lancelot is fine. I'm sure this is a misunderstanding. Agravain is dead, but it's his stupid fault, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, I can't blame Lancelot for killing those guys because they were wrong. They were in the wrong, and it's shame on them, and, you know, I can't blame Lancelot for that. And then Arthur still insists on burning her at the stake, and Gawain 
in response to that, divests himself of all of his lands. He, he, he leaves Arthur's service, right? He is so adamant. He takes a stay, he draws a line in the sand, right? He says, if you are going to go through with condemning Guinevere, I am out. I am completely out. I'm your number one supporter. I am going to uh, give up every land, every piece of, you know, every, every, all of the fiefdoms that I hold from you. And I'm going back to Orkney. Um, on my own, you know, on my family land, and uh, I will not be your like that. And, and he does it. He divests himself of all, when 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 Arthur insists on on executing her. He divests himself of all of his land. It's, it's 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 a big big deal, right? He's really Gawain really puts his money where his mouth is. Mallory takes that bit out, right? So Gawain is less insistent on this um, here than he is in the source text, but. The gap between the good Gawain of most of the source texts and almost all of the earlier tradition and the bad Gawain of Sir Mallory get kind of closer here than we've seen him anywhere in the text, right? Um, the, the remnant of the good Gawain rears his head here. And I think that this is, this is a really... I don't know, there are lots of critfic reasons we could give for this, but the the way that we can sort of see this functioning here, Sir Gawain is not all bad. Um, he's never been all bad, though sometimes it's kind of looked like that. Um, there was always some sort of hint or suggestion that there was something good in him that Arthur liked, um, uh, and it wasn't just absolute and rampant favoritism, but or nepotism, uh, but. Um, yeah. David Urbach says he's been picturing his character arc in Mallory, picturing him as someone who is ultimately unhappy with the results of his own bad temper. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if he does have a wake-up call in the Grail quest, but it's possible, David. I mean, that's that's one of the things, right? Remember that we did get, at least during the Grail quest, we didn't see him wake up. He's given bunches of opportunities to wake up. Right, um, like that classic non-confession scene, right, where he's invited to confess and he's like, "No, actually, I'm good." Right, uh, I, I, I figure I, I've, I've done enough penance. Right, um, uh, yeah, um, yeah, he doesn't do it, but I agree with you, David. That can be made to work, right? We see him come back to the court, and now we're seeing him act differently. He's not been like this before. What changed? Did the quest for the Holy Grail have an impact after the fact? Does he look at things a little bit differently now than he used to look at things? Maybe he does. Maybe he does. At least it seems so, based on this speech, right? And after all, why does... Maori follow Sir Gawain in the Grail quest at all, right? And he not only follows him, he comes back to him a couple times, right? Just to be a negative example? Just to be the poster child of the knights who totally fail? I mean, that's kind of one of his roles, sure, but um, but given the fact 
the fact that afterwards we do see him now. We've seen very little from him, but what we have seen from him has been, remember, he was already more productive, right? Back in the whole Elaine sequence, um, he was not stirring up trouble. He was not just, uh, I mean, okay, he did stir up trouble in the sense that he's the one who ferreted out where Lancelot was and outed him with the whole Elaine business, um, which got him into trouble with, uh, with, with Guinevere. But it, it, uh, when I talk about causing trouble, I mean Gawain-style trouble, like ambushing good knights and murdering them by stabbing them in the back, kind of making trouble, right? And he's not been doing that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Anyway, look at Arthur's response. That I believe well, said King Arthur, but I will not that way work with Sir Launcelot. For he trusteth so much upon his hondas and his micht, that he doubteth no man. And therefore for my queen he shall never more ficht, for she shall have the law. And if I may get Sir Launcelot wit you well, he shall have as shamful a death. Jesu, defend me, sighed Sir Gawain, that I never see it, no know it. Yeah, God prevent me ever doing that ever seeing that come to pass. Arthur's conviction that Guinevere should die, he's not going to let Lancelot get her off this time. His conviction that Lancelot should die a shameful death, should he ever catch him, right? Again, it's complicated, because he's not wrong, right? He's not wrong. He's like, I'm not going to give Guinevere a trial, Right? Lancelot trusteth so much upon his hondas and his micht that he doteth no man. He, he, yeah, oh, so he'll fight for her again and get her off, right? Because he's the best knight in the world. This is Arthur saying, I don't believe in trial by combat. Certainly not when Lancelot is involved, right? Um, that's, that's, that system is broken. Lancelot has exploited that system for the last time. And he's not wrong. He's not wrong. We've seen Lancelot exploiting it, right? Though not in the way that Arthur... See, he's not wrong except he kind of is wrong, right? Lancelot hasn't just exploited it. Lancelot has never yet fought for Guinevere and gotten her off when she was guilty, just because he was more... Just because he was a better fighter, Right? That's never actually happened. He has been in the right. He has manipulated the trials. He has manipulated the system, but not that way, right? He has not simply just overridden it with his own prowess. Once again, it's complicated. Arthur is wrong, but he's not wrong, but he is wrong. Right? again, the same three levels. Um, he's... He's technically wrong. In substance, he's not wrong. On the deepest level, his attitude towards Guinevere and Lancelot here is deeply wrong. Right? It's all very complicated. And then the tragedy. Remember that Gawain will not show up. Arthur charges all of those knights of his kin 
to protect the queen. He knows Lancelot's going to try to rescue her, and he says, go and guard her, right? Keep her. Gawain refuses point blank. He won't go. Not under any circumstances. Gareth and Gaheris, because they are sternly commanded by Arthur, say that they'll go, but they go unarmed, right? They don't wear their armor. And so, in this rushing and hurling, as Sir Launcelot thrang here and there, it misfortuned him to slay Sir Gaheris and Sir Gareth, the noble Knecht, for they were unarmed and unwares. As the French book saith, Sir Launcelot smote Sir Gaheris and Sir Gareth upon the brain panes, where through that they were slain in the field. Howbeit in very truth Sir Launcelot saw them not, and so were they found dead among the thickest of the press. Than Sir Launcelot, when he had thus done, and slain and put to fleet all that wold withstand him, than he rode straight unto Queen Guinevere, and mad cast a kirtle and a gown upon her. She's in her shift, she's in her underwear, right, getting ready to be burned at the stake. So he's, he's brought a dress. I love that he brings a dress, right, uh, on his rescue attempt, because he knows how this is going to go down. And than he mad her to be set behind him, and pride her to be of good cheer. Now wit you well, the queen was glad that she was at that time escaped from the death, and then she thanked God and Sir Launcelot. Everything has gone well, right? This is just how it's supposed to be, except for the one thing, right? The one horrible thing. Now, he kills a bunch of people here, including Rem- Sir Grifflet is killed here. My, one of my personal favorite knights, Sir Grifflet. Um... And uh, uh, and many other knights that we're familiar with. I think Sir Seguarides finally gets it here too. Um, anyway, a whole bunch of uh, um, whole bunch of uh, knights are killed. That's okay. <laughs> I mean, it's okay. Contact sport, right? Uh, you know uh, uh, this, and they're kind of in the wrong, right? And they 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 are in the wrong quarrel here. King Arthur's quarrel is the wrong quarrel, which Gawain knows, right? It's why Gawain refuses. It's why Gareth and Gaheris semi-refuse, right? Um, So nobody sheds too many tears over the many named Sir Tor, uh, the bastard son of King Pelinor. As I recall, I'm pretty sure he's in that list too, of the knights who are killed here by Sir Lancelot et al. uh, when they come and rescue the queen. But again, they're in the wrong. They're fighting on the wrong side. Um, But Sir Gaheris and Sir Gareth that's the tragedy. And absolutely, Brian, is this a part of God's judgment on Lancelot? <clears throat> Here in this scene is fulfilled the prophecy, right? The foreshadowing that Lancelot himself uttered in that speech that which we have come back to so many times over the course of the last 500 pages, right? When Lancelot says... The reason he's not going to love anyone paramours is that when you love somebody paramours and you when you start going that in that direction, right? When you allow yourself to be morally corrupted in these ways, what happens to you, right? Well, one of the things that you notice is that knights in that kind of a situation, they will tend to kill people by unhap that they didn't mean to, right? Um, like just bad stuff happens, such as killing your friends accidentally, um, and Jennifer, you're right. Nobody's really fighting in a right cause here, 
right? Nobody's cause is completely completely right. Nobody's cause is completely wrong. Um, this is a mess. This is a mess already, right? Um, and it, again, I think the primary point that I would make throughout this whole section, if on reading this, you are feeling like there's clearly somebody in the right, clearly somebody in the wrong. I, I think you're reading it wrong. I really do. Um, this is much more complicated than that. Um, but yes, this is finally the, so this is Lancelot's unhappen. So Brian, absolutely. Yeah. This means this is, this is a judgment on Lancelot. He brought this on himself. He brings this on Sir Gareth and Sir Gaharis. This is his fault. Um, he has done wrong. He is doing wrong, though he's also doing right. And it would be more wrong not to attack, right? But this whole messy, complicated situation is still his fault, too. He's allowed this to happen. Um, should have just kept his vow that he made to renounce all this in the quest for the Holy Grail, shouldn't he? Arthur laments his knights. Well, said Arthur, the death of them will cause the great, that is, Geharis and Gareth, will cause the greatest mortal war that ever was, for I am sure that one Sir Gawain canoeth hereof that Sir Gareth is slain. I shall never have rest of him till I have destroyed Sir Launcelot his kin and himself both, other else he to destroy me. And therefore, said the king, wit you well, my heart was never so heavy as it is now, and much more I am sorrier for my good Knecht's loss than for the loss of my fire queen, for queen as I meek to have now. But such a fellowship of good Knecht's shall never be to getters in no company. And now I dare sigh, said King Arthur, there was never Christian king that ever held such a fellowship to getters. And alas, that ever Sir Launcelot and I should be at debat. Ah, Agravine, Agravine, said the king, Jesu, forgive it thy soul, for thine evil will that thou hadst and Sir Mordred, thy brother, under Sir Launcelot, hath caused all this sorrow. And ever among these complaintists the king wept and sooned. Um... Remember, we were talking about the factions, right? And how ominous this was and how dangerous this was. Um, remember when we were talking about the political circumstances of the court and how many people in the court owe their personal allegiance to Lancelot first and Arthur second, right? All of these things come home now. Now that Arthur and Lancelot are at debate, right? Uh, now that they're in conflict, now that they're they're stuck, both of them stuck, right? Um, and Arthur knows there is no way now, right? Gawain has been the voice of reason to this point. He knows it's not going to last any longer, right? Um, alas, that ever Sir Launcelot and I should be at debat, he knows this is the end of his kingdom. There's no way. There's no way. He's unlikely even to survive this. They're unlikely even to survive a conflict with Sir Lancelot. Um, but there is no winning scenario here, 
right? Him being at war with Sir Lancelot, his entire realm, this united fellowship, all holy togetters. Remember that repeated phrase when they were all holy togetters on that one day when Galahad arrived before they went off on the quest for the Holy Grail and they were all holy togetters. And now we see the absolute opposite of all holy togetters, right? Um, As they are all divided and against each other and all divided and at debat. And and it's it literally doesn't matter who wins, right? Literally doesn't matter who wins. Um, <laughs> Curious says she wants to be mad about the I could have queens enough line, but like he's not wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I get you know. I know. I I know that's probably not going to win him many fans, but um, remember. <laughs> saying this is probably not going to win me any fans, but but remember, she's just his wife. Uh, remember how little that means, right? Or remember exactly what that means, right? It means a lot um, in one sense, right? Politically, it can mean a lot, uh, but it doesn't mean nearly as much politically as the other, and it, personally, it doesn't mean that much, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Now, David, you're right. David is recalling that in his youth, how Merlin tried to get him to marry somebody else, but he insisted on having Guinevere, right? Um, you know, David, I was remembering that line too, right? You can hear now him seeing retroactively the wisdom of that, right? Um, this is almost like a repentance of that moment of folly then when he went against Merlin's advice and married Guinevere anyway, right? Um, but, um, yeah. Anyway, uh, I don't ask you to share the medieval perspective on marriage, uh, but again, marriage is a, 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 a bond of political and financial convenience almost exclusively. Um, so there's almost nobody would disagree with that statement, right? That, you know, a queen isn't worth fighting for, right? The, 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 the dissolution of his entire kingdom is to him much, much worse. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Carrie says, while she is queen, she must be defended. When she is dethroned, she's replaceable. Um, yeah, he could let her go, right? He could, get her, he could let her go and replace her. At the very least, he could let them both go, right? Um, and end up with a halved court, which... And that seems to be, by the way, Carrie, the only other option here, right? Um, if Gawain would let it be, if Gawain would agree to continue on the same reasonable line that he was on before, then that's what could happen here. Um, but um, it's not going to happen, right? The two halves of his court are now going to have to fight each other. Yeah, and Stephen, I, I do suspect so. If Gareth hadn't been slain, that probably is what would have happened, right? Um, now, Lancelot is... Lancelot and Bors are planning to try to restore Guinevere to Arthur, right? Maybe that works out, maybe it doesn't, but they don't necessarily have to fight, 
right? He could let them go. There is a potential happily ever after, everybody lives mostly happily ever after scenario, theoretically here, right? But that's not how it's going to work out. Just as Maori in, like, really draws to our attention, will not let us escape from the moral complexity of the situation. Nobody's completely right. Nobody's completely wrong. He also refuses to let them off, right? He will not let anybody get out the easy way from any of these situations. Um, the fact is, Gareth's brain pan is, in fact, going to be punctured, right? Uh, Gareth is going to be killed. And we will see other circumstances, of course, where fate conspires to bring about the destruction, right? Um, Brian is wondering if Arthur could command Gawain to lay aside his quarrel and be reconciled. Um, I don't know that it's beyond his... I don't, I don't know that it's beyond his power as a king. I think it's beyond his power as a person. Um... Arthur can't, because, Brian, think about that in the same way we've been talking about all these other things, right? Gawain's insistence on vengeance against Lancelot. He's not wrong. He's not wrong, right? Um, what happened was really bad. Lancelot killed Sir Gareth and Sir Gaharis, and they were unarmed, Right? He killed them when they were unarmed. He slew the people who were trying to defend him, Lancelot. And he killed them, Gawain's brothers. He's not wrong to be mad about that. He's not wrong to want to take that out of Lancelot's hide. Lancelot deserves punishment for what he did, except he is wrong. Right? He's not wrong, except he is. I mean, again, even with Gawain, you can see this working. Well, let's, uh, more on Gawain. My king, my lord, and mine uncle, sighed Sir Gawain. Wit you well, now I shall mark you a promise which I shall hold by me knickshood that from this day forward I shall never file Sir Launcelot until that one of us have slain that other. And therefore I require you, my lord and king, dress you unto the wars, for wit you well I will be revenged upon Sir Launcelot, and therefore, as ye will have my service and my love, now hast you thereto, and a sigh your friend is. For I promise unto God, sighed Sir Gawain, for the death of my brother, Sir Gareth, I shall seek Sir Launcelot throughout seven kings' realms, and but I shall slay him, other Ellis, he shall slay me. Sir, ye shall not need to seek him so far, said the king, for as I hear say, Sir Launcelot will abide me and us all within the castle of Joyous Guard, and much people draweth unto him, as I hear say. That may I reeked well believe, said Sir Gawain, but my lord, he sighed, assay your friend is, and I will assay mine. Why doesn't Lancelot, why doesn't Arthur just give Sir Gawain a nice big time out and refuse to go to war with Sir Lancelot? He says he doesn't want to go to war with Sir Lancelot. Gawain is like, no, you've got to go to war with Sir Lancelot. And Arthur's like, okay, I guess we're going to war with Sir Lancelot. Is King Arthur just being a wuss here or no? 
No, he's not. What does he say? Notice the weight of Gawain's words here. Um, uh, let's see. Therefore, as ye will have my service and my love. What does that mean? As ye will have my service and my love, now hast you thereto, and as I your friend is. What does that mean? What are the implications? What is... Do you hear the threat there? What's the threat? If you would have my service, you will do this. If you don't do this... Yeah, he's threatening to leave the court also. Exactly. Remember all those tournaments? Remember at Lonazep, for instance? Um, and I think the Castle of Maidens. Maybe it's the Castle of Maidens I'm thinking of. So remember when there were the Orcish Knights? <laughs> we were making jokes about Orcish Knights. Those Orkney Knights. Sir Lancelot's kin was on the opposition side. So we had prefigured the struggle there. Who was fighting for King Arthur in that tournament? Only Sir Gawain and the Orcish Knights, Right? When Sir Lancelot and his kin were on the opposite side, it was just Sir Gawain and his kin. That's, I think, I'm pretty sure I'm remembering Lanazep because that's then when Sir Gareth and uh, uh, Sir Dinadin and Sir Tristram uh, and, Sir Palam- and not Sir Palamides switched over, right, um, to fight for King Arthur. Uh, we got that glimpse there, right? At the end of the day, if everyone else is against them, he still has Gawain and his kin, right? His own personal blood, Arthur's own personal blood kin, are his final core, right? Lancelot is, I mean, core, C-O-R-E, right? The core of his, of his political and military strength. Lancelot, of course, was the primary pillar of the strength of his court, and Lancelot's kin and all of Lancelot's vassals, right? A huge chunk of the round table basically belongs to Lancelot. So as long as Lancelot is his, he's fine. He's lost that now. What does he have left? Well, now he has Sir Gawain and all of Sir Gawain's kin and a very small number of people besides. Um, He... Gawain doesn't even have to threatened to fight Arthur himself. He just has to threaten to leave and take all of his friendes, right? Assay your friendes and I will assay mine, right? Um, if he and his own vassals, Gawain and Gawain's own vassals, leave the court, Arthur's a, sit- a sitting duck. He's gone from having this huge fellowship to having almost no fellowship at all. Right, and then he would be a prey to any of the kings in the near. You know, the king with a hundred knights could easily come down and take him out now. Right, the king with a hundred knights who's been around since the very beginning. Um. So, yeah, I mean, Arthur is in a tough place, taking the half of his court to fight the other half of his court in war against Lancelot. There's no way that that ends well. But if both Lancelot and Gawain leave, 
that's already ended pretty badly. Uh, hard to get much worse than that, no matter what happens. Um, so yeah, Arthur's in a pretty tough political situation here uh, because of first what Lancelot has done, what Lancelot and Guinevere has, have done, and then because of Sir Gawain's seeking vengeance. Notice, though, although it's tempting to be like, ah, now this is the Sir Gawain we've all gotten to know and hate over the course of this book, it's not exactly. The old Sir Gawain wouldn't have done this. Right? He he's he wants to have single combat with Lancelot, right? Um I shall slay him, other Ellis he shall slay me. He's not you know, the old Sir Gawain would have had him whacked, right? Um I, you know, I mean like he would have ambushed him with four or five other people and stabbed him in the back. That's what the old Gawain would have done, right? The new Gawain at least is essentially wanting a trial. I'm I will fight with Lancelot, right? And one of us will kill the other one. We'll see, you know, we'll see we'll see how that turns out, right? Um so even in his implacable desire for revenge against Sir Lancelot, um he he's different than he was before. Um and it is, Karita, I agree with you. It's easier to empathize with Sir Gawain here. Um, what he's doing isn't right, but it's not totally wrong either. You can understand it, at least. You can feel for it. And again, he, so you can, you can again do the many levels here with this, right? Again, he's, he, Lancelot did kind of commit what is kind of murder by uh, killing these guys who were his friends and who were unarmed, right? That is an unknightly deed. Manslaughter, not murder, because he didn't know it. He didn't mean it, right? But still, anyway, it's all complicated. So Gawain and Arthur attack Joyous Guard, and Lancelot refuses to fight Arthur. And anon there began a great stour, and much people were slain, and ever Sir Launcelot did what he mixed to salve the people on King Arthur's party. For Sir Bors and Sir Palamides and Sir Saphir overthrew many Knictis, for they were deadly Knictis, and Sir Blamor de Ganis and Sir Bleoberus with Sir Bellinger Lebuse, these six Knictis did much harm, and ever was King Arthur about Sir Launcelot to have slain him, and ever Sir Launcelot suffered him, and would not strike again. So Sir Bors encountered with King Arthur, and Sir Bors smote him, and so Hea leaked, and drew his sword, and sighed to Sir Launcelot, Sir, shall I make an end of this war? For he meant to have slain him. Not so hardy, sighed Sir Launcelot, upon pine of thy head, that thou touch him no more, for I will never see that most noble king that mad me knicked, neither slain nor shamed. And therewithal Sir Launcelot aleaked off his horse, and took up the king, and horsed him again, and sighed thus, My lord the king, for God is love, stint this strife, for ye get here no worship, and I will do mine utterance. But always I forbear you, and ye nor none of yours, of your forbeareth not me. And therefore, 
Hmm, I think I'm missing something here. Uh, my lord, right, an L, that's what I'm missing. And therefore, my lord, I pray you remember what I have done in many places, and now am I evil rewarded. So one King Arthur was on horseback, he looked on Sir Launcelot. Then the terrace brast out of his iron, th thinking of the great courtesy that was in Sir Launcelot more than in any other man. And therewith the king rode his why, and make no longer behold him, sighing to himself, Alas, alas, that ever yet this war begun. Remember all those scenes back in the beginning of, uh, uh, you know, in the battles in the early days of King Arthur, when, like, we just had one dude after another, right? One king after another getting unhorsed and then somebody taking somebody else's horse and rehorsing him and he said, Gramercy. I remember all those fun scenes. Um, we get that again here, right, at the end. Except notice the difference, right? Sir Lancelot gives Arthur his own horse, right? He doesn't just go and take the horse. He doesn't just go and, you know, knock one of the other Orkney knights off their horses and and give that horse to Arthur, right? Um, not only, of course, is he horsing somebody who's on the other side, uh, but he gives him his own horse, um, showing clearly, right? I am putting myself at disadvantage. I am forbearing you. I'm not trying to fight. If I were really trying to fight, I would probably keep my horse, right? Might be handy. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, And yes, Carrie, we should certainly be remembering David and King Saul here. Uh, those couple flashes uh, when King Saul realizes that David was that he was in David's power, but that David didn't kill him. Right? David chose not to kill him, and he briefly kind of repents of being a jerk to David, uh, and then relapses thereafter. Right? Um, it does recall that scene, but it's but it's different. Right, the forbearance is similar, though the motivation is different. Um, and Arthur doesn't relapse. Right, he does not want to fight Lancelot. Um, now, though, you'll notice he was gunning for him, right, to kill him, possibly through expediency. Good way to end the war, right, to kill Sir Lancelot. Probably, probably the rest of his kin will swear vengeance, and it'll just continue. Um, yeah. Then the Pope intervenes. And the Pope threatens to to uh inter to put his interdiction over all of Logris if they don't reconcile, right? The Pope tries to do what the Pope does, right? Which is like he sees complete collapse is imminent, right? And so he tries to fix the situation. We can fix the situation if Arthur will agree to take Guinevere back and not burn her at the stake and Lancelot will give her up, then everybody can, like, go home and stop this war. So the bishop comes to deliver this message to Lancelot. So Juan the bishop was come to Joyous Guard. There he showed Sir Lancelot how he come from the Pope with reading unto King Arthur and unto him. And there he told him the, he told him the, the perilous, if he withheld the queen from the king. The perils, like what the Pope is threatening, if he, do, if he does, if he continues to withhold the queen. 
Seer, it was never in my thought, said Sir Launcelot, to withhold the queen from my lord Arthur, but I keep her for this cow's, <clears throat> insomuch as she should have be brent for my sack. Meseemeth it was my part to save her life, and put her from that danger till better recover meeked come. And now I thank God, said Sir Launcelot, that the Pope hath mad her peace, for God canoeth, said Sir Launcelot, I will be a thousandfold more gladder to bring her again than ever I was of her talking away. With this I may be sure to come south and go south, and that the Queen shall have her liberty, and never for nothing that hath be surmised afore this time that she never from this stand in no peril. For Ellis, sighed Sir Launcelot, I dare adventure me to keep her from an harder shower than ever yet I had. Once again, boy, Lancelot would have been a really good lawyer, right? Um, I agree that I would give her back um, as long as he promises, A, to give me safe contact there, but he won't capture me when I'm giving back the queen. B, that he will not imprison the queen when he gets her back, right? C, that he's not going to go ahead and burn her at the stake after this, right? Uh, uh, D, that she will not be accused of any crime, of the, the, any of the things, that, that nothing that has been merely surmised. Notice his use of the word surmised, because nothing's been proven. She had no trial, right? So... That you know that these accusations will not be raised again again, you know that like the the king will not only let her off the punishment, right, the burning at the stake or imprisonment, but that he'll drop all charges right, and not hold the surmises against her, if he will do all those things, then yeah, you yeah, know, I'd be happy to give her back, in fact, of course, as he points out, and as we know to be true, at least that's what he and Bohr said, that was his plan all along. Right, he's like, yeah, you don't have to, you don't have to beg me, right? It was, it was, uh, I, I, it was never in my thought to withhold the queen from King Arthur. I was just saving her life. And I love how he says, if, uh, um, unless Arthur will agree to do the right thing, you know, by her and by me. Um, then I dare adventure me to keep her from a harder shower than ever yet I had, right? Then I'll defend her against, you know, uh, against a, a much bigger attack than I've received yet, right? You know, uh, what I have fought off so far is nothing, right? I would, I would face three times, as, I'd be willing to face three times as much if I had to. Um, so he does. It's agreed. He's going to give her back. All's well. So one Sir Launcelot saw the king and Sir Gawain, then he laid the queen by the arm, and then he canaled down and the queen both. Wit you well, then was there many a bold knicked with King Arthur that wept as tenderly as they had seen all their kin dead afore them. So the king sat still and sighed no word, and when Sir Launcelot saw his countenance, he arose up and pulled up the queen with him, and thus he sighed full knickedly. My most redoubted king, ye shall understand by the Pope's commandment and yours, I have brought to you my lady the queen, as reeked requireth. And if there be any knicked of what degree that ever he be of, except your person, that will sigh or dare sigh, but that she is true and clean to you, I hear myself, Sir Launcelot du Lac, will make it good upon his body that she is a true 
Laddie unto you. But, sir, liars, to liars ye have listened, that hath caused great debate betwixt you and me. For time hath been, my lord Arthur, that ye were greatly pleased with me when I did battle for my laddie, your queen, and full well ye knew, my most noble king, that she hath she hath be put to great wrong o'er this time. And sithen it pleased you at many times that I should fecht for her. Therefore meseemeth, my good lord, I had more cows to rescue her from the fire than she should have been brent for my sack. Notice the same thing again. This is almost completely right. Has King Arthur listened to liars? Yeah. Yes, he has. Agravain is lying. Right? Agravain is exaggerating things. He doesn't even know. Right? He's just... Agravain is open, ever open-mouthed. Right? He's a slandermonger and a jerk and a murderer. Right? Agravain is way worse than Gawain even was back in, you know, his bad old days. Uh... And that hath caused great debate betwixt you and me. Yeah, yeah. M- remember Gawain saw it? Oh, Agravain, Agravain, right? He saw it. For time hath been, my lord Arthur, that you were greatly pleased with me when I did battle for my lot. Yeah, remember? That was exactly the speech that Arthur made after the whole Sir Mador de la Porte incident, right? With the, the whole the poison apple thing, right? Remember how grateful Arthur was that he was her champion then? You know well that she hath been put to great wrong, or this time. Right? She's been falsely accused before, and I defended her when no one else would. Yeah, remember that? Mm-hmm. It's pleased you many times before, therefore. And, and this time, I had the more cause because she was being a falsely accused with me, right, for my sake. It's all true. It's all true. It's even true that he was intending to keep her to return to the king. That he never took her in order to keep her. Right? And and that we... Not only do I have no reason to believe that Lancelot and Guinevere have been sleeping together while in Joyous Guard. I do not have any reason to believe that. Right? But it seems perfectly true that Lancelot really was just keeping her safe. And really meant to give her back to Arthur, should Arthur show himself to be no longer in a queen-burning frame of mind. Right? Um, But, we still can't avoid the fact we should still feel a little bit uncomfortable when he offers to make good upon anyone's body that she is a true laddie unto him, right? Under her husband. She's not. She And even if she is true, generally speaking, she is not clean. We've seen how unclean she is. She is covered in blood. This again is where that image, that visual image of her drenched in blood, right? Dried blood, caked in blood the next morning. Um, is so powerful, right? Clean, 
is what he's saying she is. And we saw how unclean she has become. Both of them have become. Devor is asking, does Lancelot know at this point that he killed Gareth? Yes, he knows. He knows. And is pretty sad about it. Yes. He tries to make up with Gawain. But this much I shall offer me to you, sighed Sir Launcelot. If it may please the king is good grass and you, my lord Sir Gawain, I shall first begin at Sandwich, and there I shall go in my shirt, barefoot, and at every ten miles' end I shall found and garmak an house of, re- of religious, of what order that ye will assign me, with an holy covent, to sing and read, die and nicht in especial for Sir Gareth Sack and for Sir Gaharis. And thus shall I perform from Sandwich unto Carlisle, and every house shall have sufficient shall have sufficient live load. And this shall I perform while I have any live load in Christendom. And there is none of all these religious places, but they shall be performed, furnished, and garnished with all things as an holy place ought to be. And this were fairer and more holier and more perfect to their souls than ye, my most noble king, and you, Sir Gawain, to war upon me, for thereby shall ye get none of isle. Then all the Knictes and Lodies that were there wept as they were mad, and the tears fell on King Arthur his cheekes. All right. Lancelot makes a large proffer here, right? He is expressing his grief to Gawain, right? His desire to do he can't undo it, right? The damage is done. Gareth and Geharis are dead. That can't be undone. So what can he do? How can he make it up? What could he possibly offer? Um, he can offer an act of personal penance, right? That is, he's going to wear a shirt, which means a hair shirt. He's going to wear a hair shirt and walk barefoot from Sandwich. Somebody remind me my English geography. South Coast, Sandwich. I know it's on the coast, right? To Carlisle, up in the. He's going to walk the length of England, right? On foot, in a hair shirt. And every 10 miles along the way, he is going to found. A house of religious. Religious means monks or friars, like those who swear orders. So he's going to found a monastery every 10 miles, the whole length of England that he walks, right? And he's going to found that, you know, that, uh, that abbey or that convent or that monastery, right? And he's going to, and he's going to pay for it. Right, so he's going to furnish it, and he's going to uh, and he's going to give it sufficient uh, livelihood, a livelihood, income. Right, so he'll bestow a regular income upon each one of these abbeys every ten miles. 
It's in Kent. That's where I thought it was. Yeah, down on the southeast coast. So he's going to go from Kent to Carlisle. That's just about as far as you can go uh, within England, right, without crossing up into Scotland or doing something crazy like that, you know, up or up there where the Orkney boys are from. He's going to go the length of England. Like it's one of the longest distances you can go and stay in England, right, uh, from Sandwich to Carlisle. Hey, those of you who are mapping it, how many miles? How many miles? Somebody do... Somebody do some Google directions. Give me walking directions from Sandwich to Carlisle, right? And tell me how many miles that is. 376 miles. Thank you. Thank you. 376 miles. So Lancelot is offering to establish and ordain 37.6. 37.6. Let's round it up to an even 38, right? 38 religious houses across the breadth of England. Why? Do you understand why? What good does he hope to do? What what good does he hope to do by uh, founding all of these religious houses? Why is he offering to found religious houses? Notice he's anticipating that this is going to cost him everything he has, right? He will do this while that I have any leave load in Christendom. I'm going to spend all of my own living. Right? I'm going to mortgage everything I have in order to pay for these religious houses. Exactly, Carita, to pray for their souls. That's what they're going to do. This were fire and more holier and more perfect to their soulless. Right? You making war on me is not going to do Gareth and Geharis a lick of good. But if I ordain somewhere between... Oh, we have a discrepancy. Devorah gets 357 miles. I guess it probably depends on which parts of Sandwich or, or Carlisle you uh, you start in. But anyway, I'm going to ordain between 35 and 40 religious houses, right? And I'm going to... What are they going to do there? What I'm going to fill it full of monks and nuns who are going to sing and read Die and Nicht in especial for Sir Gareth Sack and Sir Geheris. I'm going to ordain a bunch of religious houses which will be specially dedicated to praying for the souls of Gareth and Geheris. Lancelot can't take it back. He can't undo it. Right? The unhap has occurred and he can't help that. But he can still help them. Bear in mind, this is understood to be efficacious, right? If you are a medieval reader, you appreciate this, right? You can actually do good. By saying prayers for the soul of those departed, you can shorten their time in purgatory, right? They can get to heaven sooner. Real concrete good can be done. Gareth and Geharis can benefit from this. It is still in his power, Lancelot's power, to do good for them, even though they're already dead. But there's really only one way that he can do good for them, and that's this way. So, I will sacrifice all of my worldly possessions for this, right? And also, I, I will take this personal penance upon myself, a barefoot, hair-shirt pilgrimage from one end of England to the other, showing my own remorse, sacrificing everything I have to try to do 
some good for Gareth and Gaharis. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Yeah, I see Craig was uh uh was uh, was thinking about that too. Um yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Divorce says the driving directions are more miles than the walking directions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So yeah, Lancelot wouldn't have been like, you know, walking up the M4 or whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Brian, you're absolutely right. He is going should be open to forgiveness, right? One of the things that Lancelot should, he's, he's putting it all out there, right? He cares. He cares about Sir Gawain, or Sir, Sir Gareth and Sir Gaharis, right? He's trying to do them good. Gawain's vengeance won't do them any good, right? All it does is serve Gawain's own feelings, right? His own anger, his own wrath and vengefulness, which, you know, again, like, everybody gets that. Everybody understands it, Right? But yes, he should be more concerned about forgiveness and all that kind of thing. But yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Um, Gawain still won't have it. And therewith he brought the queen to the king, and then Sir Launcelot took his leave and departed. And there was neither king, duke, earl, Baron nor knigged, laddie nor gentlewoman, but all they wept as people out of mind, except Sir Gawain. And when this noble knigged Sir Launcelot took his horse to ride out of Carkill, there was sobbing and weeping for pure dole of his departing. And so he took his way to Joyous Guard, and then ever after he called it the Dolorous Guard, and thus departed Sir Launcelot from the court forever. What a sentence. And thus departed Sir Launcelot from the court forever. It's over. It's over. And boy, is there a lot of crying, Carita. Absolutely. There we, everybody, no exceptions. Well, except the peasants, but they don't count. Everybody, right, who counts is weeping, right? Weeping like they're out of their mind, except Sir Gawain. This is awful. Awful sad. Sir Gawain insists he and Arthur follow Lancelot to France, right? To Lancelot's own homeland so that he's not seen in goodness knows how long. And uh, finally, Lancelot is forced to agree to come out and fight Sir Gawain one-on-one, right? And now we get this description of this whole business with Gawain's strength sort of magically increasing for three hours before noon. We heard about this briefly back in the Sir Marhalt section. That is not before Sir Tristram killed him. The Marhalt, Gawain, and Uwain section, uh, you may recall. We learned about this in his fight with Sir Marhalt, who also withstood him for the, th- the three hours and then uh, took him down afterwards. Um, we haven't had any reference to this little factoid about Sir Gawain since then. Van had Sir Gawain such a grass and gift that an holy man had given him, that every day in the year, from undern till high noon, his meat increased though three hours, as much as thrice his strength. And that cow, said Sir Gawain, to win great honour, 
and for his sack, King Arthur made an ordinance that all manner of battles for any quarrels that should be done afore King Arthur should begin at Undern. And all was done for Sir Gawain's love, that by likelihood, if Sir Gawain were on the ton party, he should have the better in battle, while his strength endured three oars. But there were that time but few connect his living that knew this advantage that Sir Gawain had, but King Arthur all only. So Sir Launcelot fought with Sir Gawain, and once Sir Launcelot felt his meek evermore increase, Sir Launcelot wondered and drawed him sore to be shamed, for as the French book saith, he went, one he felt Sir Gawain double his strength, that he had been a fiend and non-earthly man. Wherefore Sir Launcelot trossed and traversed, and covered himself with his shield, and kept his meat and his breath during three hours. And that while Sir Gawain gaff him many sad brunters, and many sad strokes, and all knictes that beheld Sir Launcelot marviled, how he meeked endure him, but full little understood they that travail that Sir Launcelot had to endure him. Right? All Sir Lancelot's kin are looking on, and they think Sir Lancelot's sandbagging out there, right? They're like, why isn't he mopping the floor with Sir Gawain right now? Nobody understands, and Sir Lancelot gets a little bit spooked when he feels Gawain's strength double and then triple during those three hours from Undern until high noon. Um, yeah, nice to have the reemergence of his superpower right at the end here, Nancy. Um, uh, Devora, they have jousted before. Uh, you may remember near the end of the book of Sir Lancelot, when Sir Lancelot, while he was in Kay's armor, he jousted with Sir Gawain, and not only did he knock Gawain off his horse, um, or did he knock him down horse and man, but he flipped Gawain's horse up so dune. Remember that? So they've encountered with each other before, but he's never, he's certainly never fought him to the utterance, uh, and I think rarely even fought him on foot ever before. Um, and yeah, Devorah, that was the wrong time of day, because that was just a random encounter in the middle of the day. King Arthur has arranged to have all formal combats, all formal trial combats happen during the time of Gawain's extra strength, right? Um... And yes, David, it is... Is it a dishonorable thing? Well, a little bit dishonorable. Um, certainly openly advantageous to Gawain. And yes, none of Gawain's opponents would reasonably know. Yeah, so that... Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know what to make of this being a grass and gift that an holy man had given him. Um, holy man in what sense? He was blessed? This is a, a miraculous blessing? Is this holy man like a holy man who studied nigromancy at one of those schools? I mean, those seem to be mostly all girls' schools so far, but um, we've seen... We've seen fiends, and we've seen, uh, you know, that like fake priests, and we've seen real holy hermits, and we've seen 
holy nuns and holy female recluses, and we've seen uh, female, you know, fiends in female costume, and we've seen sorceresses all all over the place. Um, but we have not yet seen, have we, like a human male sorcerer? Merlin. Not since Merlin, anyway. Merlin kind of stands out in that way. Um, yeah. Anyway. But, I... Yeah, I... Carrie, this does... <laughs> it kind of makes me think of doping, too. Uh, it's a little bit like a steroid scandal here, right, with Gawain. Um... Yeah. For when Sir Launcelot felt Sir Gawain's meeked so marvelously increase, he then withheld his courage and his wind, and so he kept him under covert of his meeked and of his shield, he trusted and traversed here and there to break Sir Gawain's strokes and his courage. And ever Sir Gawain enforced himself with all his meeked and power to destroy Sir Launcelot, for, as the French book saith, ever as Sir Gawain's meeked increased, reek so increased his wind, and his evil will. That's interesting. And this is one of the reasons that makes me wonder how sketchy was this blessing that was given, you know, this gift that was given to Sir Gawain. And thus he did great pine unto Sir Launcelot three hours, that he had much ado to defend him. And when the three hours were past, that he felt Sir Gawain was come home to his own proper strength, then Sir Launcelot sighed, Sir, now I have praved you twice. This is the second fight, of course. That ye are a full dangerous knight and a wonderful man of your meekt, and many wonder deeds have ye done in your dais, for by your meekt increasing ye have deceived many a full noble knight, and now I feel that ye have done your meekty deeds. Now wit you well, I must do my deeds. And then Sir Launcelot strode near Sir Gawain and doubled his strokes, and ever Sir Gawain defended him mechtily, but nevertheless Sir Launcelot smote such a stroke upon his helm and upon the old wound that Sir Gawain sank down and sooned. And anon as he dead awake, he wived and foined at Sir Launcelot as he lie and sighed, Try to reconnect, with the well I am not yet slain. Therefore come thou near me, and perform this battle to the utterance. I'll bite your legs off. Um, <clears throat> yes. Gawain's insistence. Lancelot has beaten him once. You may remember. You may not. This was a rather small detail. Back when Tristram and Lancelot fought that one time by the rock, you know, that Merlin had carved in advance to commemorate the fight years before it happened. Um, Mallory told us that Sir Tristram is actually stronger than Sir Lancelot. Um, he was a, 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 a bigger man than Sir Lancelot, but that Sir Lancelot was better breathed. Lancelot has better endurance. Tristram actually stronger, but Sir Lancelot has better endurance. Um, Gawain, therefore, kind of plays into Lancelot's hands here. Notice the, the sense of inevitability with this, right? Even when Lancelot perceives the magical advantage that Gawain obviously has, it's still, the whole thing is still 
just a matter of time, right? And the fact that he hits him twice in the head in exactly the same place, right, is just this recapitulation, right? There's Gawain, there's only one way that this can end. The self-destructiveness of the course that Gawain has set. Self-destructive for himself, destructive for Arthur's court. Uh, Gawain is very much in the wrong here, though still kind of understandable. And he's not the only one in the wrong. Again, it's all, it's all, it's all complicated still. Um, but, um, yeah. And David, I agree. The presence of mind and the cunning, the, the courage, the, the spirit of Sir Lancelot, um, his indomitable spirit is a, 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 a very big part of his, uh, success here. Um, yeah. Let's see. Now, let's come back to the sudden but inevitable betrayal uh, next time. This is it. Now we're getting to Mordred. So Gawain is taken very desperately wounded with his head wound, right? Um, but this is when they're going to hear about Mordred back home because, of course, Arthur left Mordred in charge of the country and of Guinevere while Arthur and Gawain were off to fight Lancelot. And we all know how that's going to turn out. We'll leave it here for now, and we'll pick this up again next week. Not next week, next class, which is the week after this. So two weeks, a fortnight from tonight, we'll come back and we will get through the end. I'm now Having gotten halfway through the slides for tonight, I'm confident we'll do the other half next time, just as I laid it out at the beginning. So, May 1st, we'll finish the text. May 8th, we'll look at Monty Python and the Holy Grail, uh, one of the greatest Arthurian movie of all time. Uh, And then on the 15th, we will start Sauron Defeated. All right. Thanks for joining me, everybody. And I will see you guys in two weeks. Bye now. The Mythgard Academy has been offering in-depth discussions of awesome books and films since 2013, completely free to attend and free to download. If you've enjoyed our discussions and would like to help them continue, please consider donating at signumuniversity.org fund.